Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. Today, we're devoting a show to answering some misconceptions about consciousness. Now, I got a number of questions that showed the need for a show on certain aspects of consciousness. And the first one, isn't consciousness physical or is consciousness physical? That, well, before we can begin to answer it, let's distinguish two things. The faculty of consciousness and the state of awareness, the state of being conscious, such as I am conscious now of the camera in front of me. The faculty of consciousness is the equipment that you have to support, create your consciousness. And that certainly has a lot of physical in it if it is not entirely physical. You have to have a brain. You have to have sense organs. So your eyes and ears, this stuff, and this stuff is part of the faculty the faculty of consciousness. But the state of consciousness is not a physical state. Now, what does that mean? Well, what do you mean? What is a physical state? What is it to be physical? Now, suppose we define physical as made of stuff, made of electrons and protons and neutrons and the other sub, uh, subatomic particles forming atoms, stuff, matter. Well, there are lots of things that are not made of matter because they're not in the category of thing that could be made of matter. For example, my age. My age isn't made of matter. You can't take my age and reshape it into some other form. My age is a relationship between me and the revolution of the sun around the earth in terms of years. What about the fact that my age is twice the age of somebody else? Is twice something you could put in a test tube? Is twice something you could hold in your hand? Is twice physical? Now, these are relevant things because consciousness is an activity of establishing relationships. Consciousness is a kind of relationship. It is not an object. It's not a non-physical soul within you. It's a state of awareness. So it's a relationship between an organism and the external world. To be conscious is to be conscious of something. Fundamental principle of objectivism. But there's also a subject. The person who has the consciousness and the object 
if it's something out there in the physical world, is physical. Even if it's not something out there in the physical world, it depends upon what's out there in the physical world. So the question, if you take it as meaning, is consciousness made of stuff? Well, no relationship is made of stuff, but relationships can be between things that are made of stuff, such as this hand has the same number of fingers as this hand, but the hands are physical. The relationship is between two physical things. And in that regard, my awareness of anything is a relationship between me, a physical thing, and whatever is out there in reality that I'm related to, say the a cup on the table or the table. So if you mean it's made of stuff, that only applies to entities, to objects, and consciousness is not an entity or an object. Suppose you mean by physical that which the science of physics and chemistry, which is really a derivative of physics, studies. So it's something, consciousness is physical because it, it's just physical forces acting upon matter. Even though it's an activity and it's an activity involving a relationship, maybe you mean when you say consciousness is physical, that it is a um, kind of thing that the science of physics can completely account for. Well, the science of physics hasn't been able to completely account for it. And we know that it can't be accounted for by the science of physics that exists today. Why? How do we know that? Because it's volitional. Human consciousness is volitional, it's free will. Now, none of the laws of physics embrace free will. Of current physics, maybe in the future, the physics of the future will have some law that is the law of consciousness and will allow for free will. We don't know. So do you mean... Consciousness is physical in the sense that the laws of physics that exist today can account for everything that goes on. No, they can't. So it's not physical in that sense. Do you mean when you say consciousness is physical, it's not supernatural, it's not spooky, it's not an exception to the rest of the universe? Well, yes, it's certainly not supernatural. It's natural. It's a biological capacity. It's not spooky. There's nothing spooky about the pain you feel when you stub your toe. It's real. It follows causal laws. And even free will follows causal laws, just not deterministic causal laws. So... If you just want to deny mysticism and religion, I'm with you. But the way to do that is not to say consciousness is physical, but consciousness is natural. It's not mystical. It operates according to its nature. 
It's causal, but it's not deterministic. At least conceptual consciousness isn't. So maybe this is a good time, after I draw the, the bottom line, to talk about that, uh, the question of uh, could animals have free will? But let's let's finish out this physical. In any straightforward sense of physical that I'm familiar with, consciousness is not physical. But the question, the term is, is ambiguous. But the two senses I'm familiar with is an object made of stuff that you could like cut in half or heat up or put on the table, hold in your hand. No, my hearing of my own words now is not any one of those things. Or it's something that physics can account for. Well, not present physics. So no to that too. Well, maybe some future physics. Well, oh, sure. But why can you call it physics then? It's not about just matter then. It's about matter and consciousness. So the question either is answered in a negative or it's rejected. That is the question, is consciousness physical? Now, uh, I've talked about conceptual consciousness, man's ability to think and reason, which begins with forming concepts and then is applying them. I talked about that as volitional, as free will. Uh, there has been an interesting hypothesis made by Lee Pearson, whom you know if you watch ARC UK, and Monroe Trout, whom you don't know, but he co-authored the paper with Lee Pearson, suggesting that consciousness exists in animals because the survival value of consciousness is to break out of automatisms or automatic routinized behavior that can lead to paralysis. I hope I'm describing it correctly, but the idea is there's an evolutionary advantage to the flexibility that consciousness enables. But that flexibility is maximized when you have volitional flexibility, when you can control the operations of your consciousness. Yes, it is, but what good would it do for an animal to have free will? The answer is it could choose to look longer at something which would bring up more information if it looked longer at something, and that information could have survival value. Yes, but it also could look it choose to look longer at something when looking at something else would have more survival value. How long is it supposed to look? Well, it, it chooses. On the basis of what? So you're a cow. You've probably heard many people say that about you. You're a cow and you're looking over at 
something. It, now, it could be a fox or whatever preys on cows. I, cows are pretty big. It's lions. You're, I don't know if cows are in the jungle. Some predator that's a threat to you. If you look longer and move around a little bit, you'll see that it, there is a predator there and you start defensive behavior, whatever it is. Or maybe it's something good. Maybe there's a, in the distance you'll be able to see as a um, food that or water supply or salt lick or something that you didn't know about. Okay, so you can either look longer there or you can turn and go and look somewhere else. On the basis of what do you decide? You're a cow now. You have no concepts. So you're looking over here, you see certain things. Now, we can't have something attracts your interest because on a deterministic view of consciousness, that would cause the cow to look longer. No. You, you simply will look longer on the basis of what? You don't have any concepts. You don't have any understanding. You can't say to yourself... Well, you know, in the past, when I've looked at, looked longer at formations in the environment that looked like that, it led to food. So I'm going to try it again. You can't govern how long you look or where you look on the basis of understanding anything because the animal is perceptual. The animal doesn't have any abstract ideas. So what is it to be perceptual? It means to be in the moment. It means to be responding to what's there now. Now, you can bring in past associations, but you can't think about it because you have no thoughts, you have no words, you have no concepts, you have no abstract ideas. So you're limited to the here and now and what vague memory associations you've got from the past. So there's no basis for free will to do better than a random number generator. So it might be good for um, cows and other things to have a little randomness in there to break out of loops. But there can't be any difference between randomness and non-randomness -random because the cow or the pig or the dog or the monkey doesn't have any abstract ideas. So free will would be blind for an animal that cannot think, cannot understand, cannot project the future, cannot really remember the past, cannot bring up aspects of what happened in the past, but is simply a creature of association. So that's my answer to that. Um, before I get to perception, I see there's a new question. How many neuroscientists and brain surgeons actually believe consciousness is not physical? All of them. How many of them will consciously say and consciously think 
they believe consciousness is not physical. One in a thousand. But they all know it isn't physical. In the sense, one of the two senses that I gave, you can't take out your memory and rub it in your hands. You can't take out your understanding of philosophy and put it in the oven and bake it. And it's not just because, like the heart, if you take it out, the organism will die. It's not a thing. It's not made of stuff. It being your thinking, your feeling, your seeing. And the other sense of it was physicists can account for it. They can't now. And I don't think any neuroscientists or brain surgeons would tell you, oh, yeah, we've got the physical chemistry of consciousness down. We know the equations involving matter and energy when a person thinks of his mother-in-law. No. They know better than that. Just they won't admit it. Uh, I wanted to see if there's all any question about the Pearson Trout thesis. No, they're not. Um, the final topic is a really important one. Not that the first one is important. It's important that you recognize consciousness is conscious. And to be conscious is not a physical thing. But the other one is, can't the senses make mistakes? Can't the senses be wrong? No, never. Why? Because they can't ever be right. The senses are silent. You know, the claim is the senses tell us so-and-so, but so-and-so isn't the case. How would you know it isn't the case except by using your senses? But that's another thing. The senses don't tell us so-and-so. The senses are silent. All conclusions from what you see are conclusions of your conceptual faculty. So there's no such thing as a mistake in seeing. What would that even mean? You know, Descartes said, my senses have sometimes deceived me, and it's best not to trust wholly anything that is once anybody who's once deceived. But your senses are not a person. Your senses never deceive you. You can see things that look like things that they aren't. I mean, that resemble things that shouldn't be. Uh, applied in, in thought to this thing. Let me give you an example. Have you ever known two identical twins and thought you were looking at one when you were actually looking at the other? Okay, that's the closest you can get to the senses deceiving you. 
something in one situation looks like something else other than it is. So you're tempted to make a mistaken judgment. Oh, that's Susan. No, that's Jennifer, Susan's sister, twin sister. And that's the way that you handle these optical illusions. The stick in water, half submerged in water, looks the way a bent stick looks when it's in air. That's not an illusion of the senses. The senses are responding as the optics requires that they do. Well, what if you're nearsighted? Well, then you get less information than if you put on glasses. What if you're colorblind? Well, then you can't make certain discriminations. That's incapacity. It is an error. Well, what if your brain were wired, and maybe some people are, to see red where we see green and yellow where we see blue and vice versa? So it's wired up that the uh, wavelengths of light that I see as in uh, red and green, they see it opposite. Isn't that an error? No, it's not an error. Both are giving this information about the reflectance properties of the things you see, i.e. their color. It's not the case that the internal response you have to grasp has to be the same as my internal response to grass. All that's important is that you're able to make discriminations the way I am. And in fact, you would learn that grass is green. If you had the internal experience that I have when I look at a fire truck, when you looked at grass, you would learn, oh, that is green. So you would say grass is green, the sky is blue. You would have the same words to name the fact that you're picking up in a different form. You know, the old uh, lectures on objectivism in the 60s had a great example of this, which is suppose that uh, Martians exist and they experience heat and coolness as different jiggles, as different vibrations of the atoms, because that's what heat is. It's faster or slower vibrations of the atoms. So where we feel warmth, they feel a certain speed of vibration. What would be the cognitive significance of that? None. They pick up the same facts of reality in a different form. We're more used to this in the computer age than it used to be a hard sell because you're aware that, say, you can store an image as a JPEG or a PNG, that you can uh, represent the same information in many different formats, that you can have ASCII or ANSI or EPSIDIC. Maybe you know that that the same program can be implemented in Python or JavaScript or C++. So we're aware that information can be dealt with in different forms, but it's the same information. 
And that is the form object distinction applied to computers. The form object distinction is how you perceive is different from what you perceive. How you perceive is a function of your nervous system. And different nervous systems perceive in different ways, different forms. What you perceive is always reality. The object of perception is always out there in reality. That is an extremely clarifying distinction. It handles all the problems uh, because you're able to say about anything, any experience. Well, that experience is caused by the nature of my nervous system interacting with some object. And there's potentially information in that response that I can get. If it's something I've learned to get already, I mean, get on the conceptual level, then I'm fine. But sometimes things come up that are different forms of being aware of the same thing. Like I get nearsighted with age or I get sick. And in certain disease called jaundice, things look yellowish. That maybe has been cured today, but that used to be a, um, a standard um, example a to a jaundice person, white looks yellow. Yeah, and if you know that, you can deal with it. You, can, you get information. Maybe you lose the capacity to distinguish white from yellow. But every form of perceiving reality is valid. I would say it's inerrant. It doesn't even des deserve to be called valid. It's beyond valid. It's that in terms of which you judge other things to be valid. Now, I was considering floaters in the eye and... I wanted to make the point that, yes, that floaters can interfere with vision, but they don't present you with a false reality. It's just a question of knowing what you're seeing. Floaters are collagen fibers casting shadows on the retina. So when you see a floater, you're seeing collagen in your eyeball or maybe the shadow. No, I guess you're seeing collagen, little tiny filaments of it. But you may not know how to interpret what you see. But even a broken instrument can provide information. Now, I have an example of a broken instrument. This is a ruler. It's an 18-inch ruler. And I put on it after 12, I put on it random places, other numbers following it, 12, 13, 14, 15, but they're all messed up. They're not, we're getting the, uh, you know, the pseudo background here. They're not um, where they're supposed to be. The marks are not where, they where they're supposed to be. I don't think I can, sh oh, there, that's, that's all help. So 13 is real close to 14, but very far from 12. And I did it randomly. 
Now, is this ruler false? Is it deceiving me? No, I just know I need to know how to interpret what it means when something is between 13 and 14 or 12 and 13. I need to adjust for the calibration being off. That's like needing to make a correct judgment from unusual circumstances like a stick at an angle half submerged in water or any of the optical illusions, as they're called, that you find on the web, where something looks like something else. Yeah, it does look like something else. But if you think it is that something else, the mistake is in that, not in the seeing. The seeing is just a causal response. It doesn't have any judgment attached to it. It's the judgment that's false. Hey, that shade is darker than the other shade. No, might not be. That, you know, the mullah liar, that line is longer than the other line. No, but that's a judgment. Just seeing it is a causal response that doesn't make a judgment. So it's not, it's valid in the sense that valid was once defined within objectivism as of reality. Yeah, it's of reality, but it's not valid in the way that, say, the Socrates syllogism is valid or some complex mathematical problem that you solve is valid. You have a valid solution. It's beyond valid. It's that in terms of which valid versus invalid is judged. So here we had a question from somebody, since I'm not reading um, the names, who says, I was discussing the inerrancy, meaning can't err, err, can't make a mistake, of sense perception with a philosophy professor, and he stated, quote, there are plenty of examples of science disproving sense perception. How can this be? It can be if you conflate reason, judgment, with sense perception. Science can't refute its own base. There's no science that's not based on sense perception, and every valid scientific conclusion is based upon observation, sense perception. So it's a stolen concept, Ayn Rand's identification of a form of hierarchy uh, violation, a stolen concept to say science disproves sense perception. The stolen concept is science. You can't have science. Imagine that you were born, God forbid, except there is no God to forbid it, but blind, deaf, dumb, no sense of touch anywhere, no internal sense. So you have no sense perception. You're like a vegetable, like Terry Schiavo was on the uh, when her brain had turned to jelly at the end of her life. If you remember that case, so you have no sense, but you're born without sense perception. Can you go when you get older? Can you go into the lab and do an experiment to disprove? You can't do anything. 
you have no consciousness. So all of science, is an, which is an activity of human beings involving observation and the implications drawn from observation, all science depends on perception. So no, it, it can't be. And you know, I'd like to know an example of it because it couldn't be. And I'd like to uh, untangle, doubtless, the era being, untangled the era, and it's going to be, he's including judgment using concepts with sense perception. All the seeing, for instance, gives you is a scene, S-C-E-N-E. It doesn't whisper anything in your ears. Even when people whisper in your ears, all you hear is sounds. Understanding of what is meant if they're speaking language is a conceptual, judgmental issue. So I call it inerrancy because validity suggests there could be such a thing as invalid. It suggests that there's a volitional process that could go wrong, but the senses are physiologically determined. Thinking isn't, judging isn't, but you open your eyes and it flows in. It's not true that you open your brain and knowledge flows in. You have to work to get it, and you have to make choices about how you do that work. You have to make choices about when you have enough evidence for something. So thinking is volitional and fallible. Perceiving is automatic, physiologically determined, and infallible or inerrant. Can't be wrong or right. Can't be either. Okay, we've gotten to the end of another session, and thank you for coming. Next week, we're going to have um, Keith Lockich. I was, there's another Keith I know, and his name was echoing him. Keith Lockich from the Ayn Rand Institute is going to come and talk about his work uh, in science, teaching science at the Ayn Rand Institute, a course that I'm taking for the second time. It was so good. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>